Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor John Jay. I am the lead pastor here at FBC Pasadena, and it's really great to see you all this morning. Um, we're going to get started with uh, prayer together. We've been in the middle of the, the Sermon on the Mount for the last several weeks, and we'll be in it uh, through the rest of the summer. And right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but through this teaching focus, we are saying the prayer together. And so uh, I'm going to say a prayer uh, for us and with us, and then at the end of that, invite you into that prayer together. The words will be on the screen behind me, and so you can uh, you can read along. If you know this prayer and you have words that are sort of dear to you, then say the prayer in whatever way you feel most connects. Um, but would you join me in a time of prayer together as we continue in worship? God, we have uh, much listening to do. We confess that when we can't hear you speaking, uh, we get anxious that maybe you're not. Get anxious that maybe we are alone. And in that, in that anxiety and fear, we uh, do all kind of things. But you didn't give us anxiety or fear. And so we confess now that we have not trusted you as we ought to. Now today, this morning, we pray. For those who are so vulnerable around the world, who are suffering because of wars and pestilence, because of a, a climate that is hotter and more dangerous, because of unsecure homelands and unknown futures. God, you take care of the Widows and orphans, you take care of all who are without protection. And so we need you to be present in those places as you're present here. We pray that we, your people, would have calm hearts in the midst of everything going on here in this land. With all the rancor and turmoil and noise that we would feel at peace because, well, because of you. And we pray together for this congregation, the people to our left and our right, for all that we are carrying. It's really heavy, God. Sometimes it for sure feels like a burden. And we would be happy to hand it over. And you've said that you would take it. So, okay. And we will do our best, God, to receive from you a different kind of weight. A different kind of burden that is yours. And it's lighter. And for that we are thankful. And all of this, we are immensely grateful for Christ. 
who shows us the way, who says what we don't know how to say, who lives in a way that we are struggling to live, and all along has made us family. And now we pray as Christ taught us to pray, and I'd ask if you would join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. When we preached through the Lord's Prayer, we uh, did not actually end up preaching through that last little section there. Uh, For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Uh, It's a a later addition, likely, into the text. But it is one of these passages, like one of these sections of, of Scripture that even as we just prayed it together, I feel it. For God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's time to teach. Are y'all ready? I'm very excited about this morning. Uh, so I said that on Thursday to our, our little Bible study group that meets. And the person said, is there a time when you're not excited about preaching? And that's a great question. The answer is no, I'm always excited to preach. Uh, but this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and sort of focus on the prayer, but really we're going to look at this entire section. So uh, Camille last week uh, taught with us through the beginning of chapter 6. Two weeks ago I taught on the last verse of chapter 5. And so then we're going to move forward. What you see behind you here is sort of... Actually, I've thought about, I often draw these very... They don't intended, they're not intended as to be cryptic, but these kind of infograms about the text. And so this is basically the entire Sermon on the Mount laid out graphically because I wanted you to see that the prayer, the the Lord's Prayer, it is right in the center of things. Two weeks ago, we talked about how that ending verse in chapter five, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, that that's right kind of dead in the middle of things. Uh, And so there is this kind of, Well, there's this lovely balance to the placement of the prayer. And that little blue line there is that middle line of the prayer. So if the prayer itself is in the middle of the sermon on the mount, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then in the middle of the prayer itself is this line that has become for me over this last year sort of like a a central thesis statement. As in heaven, so also on earth. As in heaven, so also on earth. That's like right there. That's the hinge point when everything turns. It's when everything turns in the prayer and it's when everything turns in the sermon. So we're going to sit in this section this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open it to chapter 6. I'm going to read just a little bit for you. One of the things I love, uh, well, I mean, I love in the same way that, like, it's really fun to trip and fall. Uh, That may not be you, 
But to be surprised by the text is a fun sort of thing. And it happens all the time, especially in the New Testament, where you sort of think you're going in this direction and then immediately the author of the text sort of bats you back in the other direction. Paul does this all the time. And so it happens at the end of chapter five. Be perfect, therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect, which sounds crazy. We talked about that two weeks ago, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But if that's true, that we are supposed to strive toward the language is not exactly perfection, but wholeness or completeness, or or peace, or shalom, we could say. But if that's what we're supposed to strive for, there is an inherent danger on the other side of that. This always happens, where the, the author will say, the Bible will say, like, live this way. And this way means A, B, C, D, right, on down. And so we think, okay, great, we'll do those things. But then immediately, the text will warn you. And so what's the next word? Chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So there we are. We've been working toward this idea of perfection, this idea of wholeness or completeness. And then immediately we are sort of tossed into this warning, beware. Now, this section takes place in like three big chunks three big ideas. And so we're going to take all of these and just hold them together this morning. That is giving to those who are in need, which is what we talked about last week, prayer and fasting. Those are the three. So I'm going to read just a little bit for you. If you've got a Bible open with me, chapter six of Matthew's gospel, Matthew is the first book in what we call the new Testament. The new Testament is like the last sixth or fifth of the Bible. And, uh, so here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness or your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, alms would be sort of the turning over of some kind of financial resource to the poor or or more specifically often to the temple or synagogue in the area where you lived. And then they would distribute that money to the poor or to those who were in need. So that's alms giving. So when you give your alms, don't sound a trumpet before you. I'm assuming everyone at this time carried trumpets for just such an occasion. So don't sound a trumpet before you, like the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, that's the first section. Giving to those who are in need. Beware practicing your righteousness in this way. Next prayer. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. By the way, I, when I was praying a few minutes ago, I was really concerned that this was going to be me. We talked about this in staff meeting, like how do you pray publicly and then read about the warnings about praying publicly? It was terrifying. So they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they received their reward. So when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, don't keep upon empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Now this line, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Then Jesus teaches them how to pray, and we just said those words together. Now, there's this interesting thing that happens after the Lord's Prayer. 
Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and don't bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Then this in verse 14, but if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you, which is good news. That's great news. But then this is not such great news. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses, which is crazy because forgiveness is hard. Last section. Whenever you fast, don't look dismal like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. I'm assuming those are good things. So that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you feel the pattern? I wanted to read them one more time so you could see the pattern. Three times, three different areas, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. There is a concern. These are the, these are the acts of, of righteousness. So here's sort of what we're going to talk about for the day. This idea of big righteousness, but small you and me. Now this is the difficulty. In striving after the path that Jesus invites us to walk, we might start let it go to our heads, right? We might kind of become really proud of ourselves. We're doing it. And start to think that's the point. And so there is this call to a deeper, fuller, more complete kind of righteousness. But then there is this warning on the other side that you don't get so full of yourself along the way. Now, here's how the section looks. Again, I just want to show you the way that the writer of this gospel uses emphasis. This is about how long each section is. There's a section on giving. There's a section on prayer that is like three times as long as the section on giving and the section on fasting. And these are how they're structured. Now, let's say this on the front end. Giving, prayer, and fasting are just assumed to be things that we all are doing as God's people. The question, the the problem that Jesus is addressing is not the absence of these activities, but the state of the heart when engaged in these activities. So here's the invitation kind of at the beginning of this teaching. We should be engaged in these things. The text says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Not if, but when. I do not remember the last time that I fasted. Unless you count from last night to right now. Because I skipped breakfast because I was busy. Right. Now, if I asked you all how, if, how this looks in your own life, we should be asking that of ourselves. There is, so let me just offer the invitation again. If these are not practices that you are sort of creating rhythms in your own life, then now, today, today's the day. You could start right now. These are not inaccessible. It may feel like a lot to give, but every week we'll give you the opportunity. And it's not just because we all together support the ministries of this congregation, but because it is a spiritual practice for you to be giving some of your stuff away at a regular rhythm. 
in prayer. There are some folks in here, and I've been this way too, where prayer doesn't feel like it works anymore. And so what's just like, if it's not going to do anything, then why should we do it? You know what I'm talking about? You've prayed for something over and over and over again and nothing has changed. You don't feel any closer to God. And so that practice, like it's not, it's not working. It's like a diet where you diet and diet and you don't lose any weight. And so you think like, well, that's not working. So you just drop it. Prayer might be that way for some of us here. And fasting feels very archaic. Fasting is not a thing that we really ever engage in purpose unless we call it a diet. We're back to diets again. So seriously asking, inviting you into these practices on a regular basis, giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, in the next couple of months, we're going to have a day or a season of fasting as a congregation. Uh, I've been here for a year. We've been having a lot of, of prayer behind the scenes and with leadership. And so as we continue to discern what God has for us as a congregation, fasting, listening, and praying will be a part of that discovery. So if you're not sure how to, how to fast, then I'll give you an opportunity in a couple of months. Do this. Uh, But then this qualifier, quietly. What if I I decided it would be a really good idea if at the end of the service today, we're going to do, we're going to have offering. And so the offering plates, we're going to start at the front and they're going to go all the way down. Do we have offering plates back here? Here we go. And what if this is what happened? What if, as the plate was going down the aisle, I walked with it? And what if I said, Bunny, $20. (laughs) Right? What if this is the way that we received the offering? With like, if I rang a bell, and if, so what would happen? Well, a couple things would happen. We'd start here, back half the room would leave (laughs) church. Or there would be someone in the back who's very competitive. And so then you keep trying to up the other person. When I, when I ask you, invite you, or challenge you to engage in these practices, it is not so other people can see you. Uh, that's not the way we handle giving here. It's not the way that we think about prayer or we think about fasting. Or anything that we would call like practicing the Jesus way. Living as God would have us to live. This call to acts of righteousness are to be done, well, Jesus says in secret. Or with some kind of distance between your awareness that other people see you enacting these things. And God who sees. It immediately made me think about PDA. Do you all know what PDA is? Who thinks it's a personal digital assistant? Because it's not the kind of PDA we're talking about. Perlman does all. Perlman does all is what what Ted said. Uh, No. PDA is public displays of affection. And that's what this reminds me of, this warning. That when you practice your righteousness, make sure you're not doing it for show. Have you seen couples who you know? You know that things are not okay, right, at home. But every time you see them on 
Instagram or out in public or at church. Like everything is perfect. There is arms around each other. You know, every fourth message online is sort of this gushing praise, but things aren't quite right. I had a friend who said, like, if you have to, well, sort of riffing off uh, a line from a famous uh, public figure, like, if you have to tell everybody that you're into each other, you might not be. Let me read you a definition of PDA from Urban Dictionary. I love Urban Dictionary. It's where I get all of my definitions. Here we go. PDA can be seen in the form of kissing, touching, groping, licking, nuzzling, cuddling. I love this one. Crossing hands into each other's opposite back pockets, etc. That's PDA. And they even give you a sentence in case you're not sure what PDA is. Jen and Craig's PDA at the table was so intense that there was slobber all over the green bean casserole. And in case you needed to see, like that's awkward. It's awkward, guys. In the same way that practicing your righteousness in front of others is awkward. (laughs) No one can listen to me anymore with this picture up. I had a friend in college. I'm going to put friends in quotes. He was a not enemy. We were not friends, but we weren't enemies. He was just a guy I knew. And this guy, freshman year, we were in the same kind of ministry. Uh, in college, a ministry is what you do so that you don't totally fall off the deep end for four years. And uh, so we were together in this kind of Baptist ministry at, at our college. And this guy, he was very handsome. He was very fit. And he definitely knew that he was very handsome and very fit. He was also very single. And I was not. I was dating my, wife, my soon-to-be wife at the time. And uh, so this guy automatically made me feel very comfortable with myself. No. Uh, but one of the ways that you show off in like college ministry is you brag about the ways that you love Jesus. And so this guy would every year would announce, I mean, like, I, seriously, he must have had a trumpet with him. He would announce that he was going to go on a fast. So guys, I'm not going to be around for the next week. Uh, and so if you see me and I look sad, it's just because I'm fasting. I'm fasting because I love Jesus so much. And I'm telling you so that if you see Jesus, you would tell Jesus that I love Jesus. Every year it was this way. And there was some subset of folks in this college ministry who like bought the shtick. Um, but man, it was super annoying. It was like PDA for Jesus. It just was not into it. I don't know why he needed to tell me that. If he was fasting and it was to sort of rearrange his heart toward God, then do that thing. He was after what the text says is a reward. Now, we're going to talk about reward, but I want to pause for a second because I'm aware that it is 115 degrees in here. And some of you are warm. I'm going to keep giving you warnings about how far we are along in the service and the sermon so you keep listening. <laughs> there are two buckets in the back with ice and ice water. If you would like a water, I'm going to just invite, if there's like four folks who can carry those buckets, would, would you mind? There's, there's one back here and there's one over here. Would you just walk them up the aisle and back and see if anybody needs any water? We've got a lot of fans going in the room and we've got some stuff to talk about. And so it'd be nice if you were hydrated, all of us together. Okay. You ready? 
The reason that this friend of mine told everybody he was fasting is because he wanted a reward. Now, in college, the reward would be that girls who were good Christians would really be into this guy. Like, that would be the reward. But there are different kinds of rewards we might want that we would practice these things out loud. I'll read it for you again. When you give alms, don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites in the synagogues or the streets do, so they'll be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. The language there, the word for reward is this word, mistros. This word means basically payment, like uh, wages. So every two weeks, uh, all of us here who work at the church, we get a paycheck. And that is... That is our misthrust. That is our rewards. Not exactly right. Cause I don't feel like I want a prize. I feel like I did a job and I was compensated for that job. The language is a little funky. This is the language of wages earned. And so it follows this logic. What we would call the act consequence model. This is sort of the way to understand the world for most of human history. You do good things. So that good things happen to you. And if you do bad things, then bad things might happen to you. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it's often talked about as blessings and curses. You do these things, you keep the law, you keep the commandments, and God will bless you. You don't keep the law and commandments, and you do whatever you want, God will curse you. Act consequence. Does that make sense? Mistros is the language of act consequence. If you do what you're supposed to do, you'll receive these things. Now, the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into is the opposite of Mistros. A lot of us have grown up in church. Those of you who have grown up in church. Or maybe in another religious system. This is not unique to Christianity. This is sort of the way that most religions understand themselves at, at a very sort of first level. Which is that the goal of the religious life is to not make the gods angry. So you keep the gods appeased and you will either be left alone or you will be given some kind of reward. And so that's what goodness is for. Goodness is supposed to bend the will of God toward you. So you would receive God's favor, act, and consequence. But Jesus says something different here. But when you give to the poor... When you give to those who are in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But it's not misthros. It's a different word. This is why I love languages. I was telling my wife this wherever Corey is right now. And you said, why does the text use the same word then if it's two different words? Why is it reward and reward if the Greek is not the same word? But it's not. It's it's didomi, which you all know what that means, so we don't need to explain it. <laughs> didomi is the language of the gift. Yesterday, my son had a, a birthday party, and at his party, a bunch of people brought him gifts. And uh, I don't imagine, did you feel like you earned those, Judah? The answer's no. No. <laughs> I mean, you were born and you've stayed alive for 11 years. So like kudos, you did it. You're still here. But these were gifts. These weren't like payments for services rendered. This is just out of the overflow of people's generosity and affection brought gifts to my family. 
This is the kind of reward that Jesus is talking about. Not the one that you earn, but simply the one that you receive. So rather than act and consequence that becomes predictable, it's a different kind of economy. It's a gift economy. And gift economies are full of mystery. It is supremely exhausting to feel like God is keeping score. It's like a hamster wheel kind of religion. And I've played that game for a long time. And some of you are running on that wheel right now where you think to yourself, okay, okay, if God sees everything and knows everything, then God has a good sense of what's on the ledger column for the the screw-ups for me. And if the name of the game is I'm going to get what I deserve, then I sure better balance the ledger column over here on the good side before the bill comes due. That is exhausting. Jesus says, if you would like to practice religion for other people to see, then you will get what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. Do you? Like, this side's a lot heavier. And I've still got a lot of years to live. Even if it like went straight up, like everything started at zero right now, I would still be quite concerned with the balance of the ledger. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want a misthrust. I don't want a wage earned for services rendered. Because I always forget who God is and whose I am. I'm scared and anxious all the time and so are you and we act out of that. We act out of that. Jesus says that there is a way to practice the call that God has placed on you. And it might be as simple as giving some stuff away, connecting with God and reducing yourself. Right? Like fasting is sort of making yourself small. Creating a void. Jesus is saying that if we practice our faith in such a way that God might be the audience, might be the aim, then we don't get what we deserve. We end up with something that will surprise us. Brings me to this. Heaven is not a reward. And a third of the church is ready to leave. That's not how this thing works. It feels like how it works. Heaven's the prize. And so the goal of the Christian life is to earn heaven. Jesus says... The kingdom of heaven is already near. It is among you. It is, in fact, within you. And then the the Lord's Prayer makes this claim. 
this call that God would bring heaven to earth. So if our lives are always lived trying to earn heaven, we will end up with what we deserve. I've spent a lot of time trying to earn heaven and it is hell. I feel heavy and unworthy and full of shame because I know how heavy that side of the ledger column is compared to this one. And I don't want to play that game anymore and you don't want to play that game anymore. Heaven is on offer right now. Jesus says it is near. So close, it's like you're breathing. And when I remember that, I take a deep breath. And I relax all of this trying. The hamster wheel just slowly stops. And I step off. And realize that I fortunately don't get what I deserve. I end up with God's goodness. A gift. Which brings us back to these three. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Do these things quietly. Uh, before I move on, I want to make uh, a practical request from you. Um, the giving part. Here at our church, we have uh, several different ways that you can give. And I always encourage people uh, to find a regular pattern of giving of your money, of your stuff, to the congregation, to a local church, so that that congregation can put those resources to work for God. Now here, we call that our like general ministry fund or our budget. And this church operates on about a million dollars a year for everything, the building and the staff and the ministries and any types of new opportunities that arise. Uh, but we also have within our ministry budget or, or right beside it, a fund called the Deacon Fund. Or if you go online, you might see it as like the Emergency Needs Fund. And that's the set of money that if there is a need that arises in the congregation that is sort of a unique and urgent and outside of what we'd normally have funding for. Somebody's lights are about to get turned off or something like that. That the, that the staff and the lay leadership, the deacon body, our board of advisors, are able to respond very quickly to those needs. And so here's the, here's the opportunity I'm going to ask you right now um, and later on for the offering. Uh, we actually have a need like that right now. Our deacon fund has about $3,000 in it. Uh, that kind of varies. It's always somewhere around five to $10,000, for instance. Anybody can give to it any time they want to. It's sort of an above and beyond what your normal giving would be. But right now, we have had um, a need arise that I want to tell you about. Uh, one of our staff members, uh, our gardener and landscaper, who's been with us for decades now, like go all the way back to, to Dr. Lane, who was a pastor several pastors ago, uh, worked with Dr. Goddard, worked with uh, Pastor Hasper, has worked with me. Daniel's his name, died last week. Now, not a lot of you would know Daniel if you're not here all the time, but he works hard and faithfully. And uh, his family is going to have this service here at our church. Um, I'll let you know when that's going to be, but there are a lot of financial needs that come along with the death. And a lot of people are not always prepared for those financial needs. And so we want to be able to help out Daniel's family in whatever way we can with some of their funeral costs here. And so we would use this emergency fund for that kind of thing. So when the offering goes around, if you would like to contribute to that as a way of practicing your righteousness, I will not go around with a plate and announce who gave. 
And I'm not asking you to raise your hand and tell everybody. But if you feel led and you would like to participate, that offer is here. When the offering plates go around in a little bit, you can put anything you'd like in there and write Deacon Fund and it will go to that effort. Or if you give online, there's a drop down and you can give that way as well. Okay, that's sort of my uh, point of pastoral privilege. Do this quietly. Giving, prayer, fasting, or practice your righteousness. I keep a bo- I keep several books with me at home or in my office. And I always get scared to keep these books with me because they're opposition research. These aren't books that I like deeply believe in, but they're books that I need to understand because I have to sort of see what's out there in the world. So one of these books is The 48 Laws of Power. Has anyone heard of this book? It's a, you've read it, Zach. We have some, some talking to do. So I'll be honest... Like most everything I read about these 48 laws feels antithetical to the gospel. It's about sort of seizing power in some really, I would say some really strong ways. So I'll read a couple of the, of the laws for you. Now, if you're talking to people who have never had power, some of these might actually be helpful and they're not all gross. Um, never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. I can't imagine Jesus saying that. Conceal your intentions. I'm going to read one for you in a minute. Crush your enemy totally. Matthew 5. (laughs) Or this one. I've worked for people who are like this. Keep others in suspended terror. Cultivate an air of unpredictability. Here's the one I want to read for you today. It's law number six. Do these things quietly. But you want to make yourself big, big righteousness, big me, right? Court attention at all costs. Everything is judged by its appearance. What is unseen counts for nothing. Never let yourself get lost in the crowd or be buried in oblivion. Stand out. Be conspicuous at all costs. Be conspicuous. Make yourself a magnet of attention by appearing larger, more colorful, more mysterious than the bland and timid masses. You feel it, right? That is, that is the opposite of what we're talking about here. But this is the way that the world works. That is exactly the way the world works right now. Spectacle is ruling the day. It is ruling the news cycle. It is ruling your own imagination, the newspaper. Everything we see is spectacle right now. It is loud and it is big and it is for attention. Nothing counts unless we've gotten a picture of it, unless we can prove it. And what I'm asking you to do right now is make central to your life a set of practices that you need to keep intimate, that you you shouldn't be bragging about. That's a really hard thing to do. I don't know if you know this, but I just found out that a good friend of mine is moving to Los Angeles. Some of you know this friend. Yeah. So LeBron James is coming to play basketball here in the city. And I'm very excited because he and I have gotten to hang out sometimes. You can see me here on his right. And then LeBron James is on the left. It's, it's like a, it's, it's a friendship that's had its ups and downs. There was this time I made this terrible mistake. He got so mad at me. But then everything ended up working out okay. 
I'm very excited that this friend of mine is coming to town. You ever have folks like this who, uh, this is like the PDA thing at the beginning where they really want you to know that they know somebody or that they have done something. And so it sort of becomes the public persona of their life. There is a company where you can rent a private jet. It doesn't fly. This private jet just stays on the tarmac. But if you want to appear like somebody who owns a private jet, you can pay like $200 for an hour and they will put makeup on you. They'll set the jet up inside and then you can go and you can take a couple of pictures and you can post those pictures online so that everyone thinks that you have a private jet. Because it isn't about what you actually are. It's only about what you appear to be. And that's the problem of practicing your righteousness out loud is Jesus wants you to actually be these things. So I'll I'll be honest, I'm not friends with LeBron James, right? I made those, shockingly, one of the talents I have, aside from preaching, is Photoshop. So I made those pictures. But uh, about a year and a half ago, we found out we were going to get to have dinner with what was, is still at the time, like one of mine and Corey's heroes of the faith. I'm not going to say who it was, Jesus. Uh, we had Jesus over for gumbo. No. Uh, was, so this guy, somehow it happened where we got to host dinner for this guy. And I remember Corey and I saying, like, put the phones away. Put all the cameras away. Just be present to this moment. Don't prove to everyone that you got to do this thing or that you're so great because you got to host so-and-so. Uh, not Jesus, but so-and-so at your house. And so the only thing I took a picture of was the table after everybody left to remember that this thing had happened. And... The goal of the evening was to get to know a new friend. It was not to let you know that I know this person. But it was to connect. Which brings us back to the reason that we are practicing our righteousness at all. There is a concern that Jesus is speaking into for them and for us. And it's that we feel isolated. From God. Remember that question I asked earlier about prayer? Like if, if you prayed and felt like nothing is answered, that you yell and nothing comes back to you, that distance. So as Jesus walks and lives and teaches, part of what Jesus is doing, the crux, the main part, is knitting creation back to God through Jesus' very body. There was a crisis at the time. The crisis was what we would call the crisis of korban or of sacrifice. The way that folks got to God or the gods, but especially in Judaism, to Yahweh, to God, was through sacrifice. Through public acts of giving up and giving away, of burning it up. Like you would take some kind of animal of yours and you would slaughter it and you would put this meat on the on this fire on the altar and the smoke would go up to the heavens and you would see it. You could see it with your eyes. This sort of intention of connecting with God rising up to the heavens. And the language for sacrifice is this word korban. And what it means is something that you bring close so that you can draw close. Because there was an awareness all the time that we were far from God. And the desire, the desire, and it has been this way for all time, is to draw close to God, to close that distance. 
And the way that often that was done for a long time was through sacrifice or through korban. And the language is that which you bring close so that you can draw close to God. But what happens when the sacrificial system is done away with? And that's what Jesus is living in the midst of at the time of Rome's occupation. There is no more sacrifice. There ends up being no more temple. How do you draw close to God? What do you do? And so Judaism at the time, it changes. It evolves. And Jesus steps into this strain of Judaism, which says, oh, sacrifice. It doesn't have to be goats and bulls on the altar. Prayer can be a sacrifice. It can rise up to God. The language of prayer rising like incense, that's where that language comes from. And so Judaism comes up with, and then Christianity inherits this, these ways of connecting. Giving to the poor. Prayer. And fasting, these become the means by which we reconnect. I really want and need to feel this communion with the divine, to know that I'm not alone. To know that when I pray, it isn't just to the void, but that somehow God hears me. And I know that you share this, because you've told me. The invitation into giving and prayer and fasting is the invitation to connect with God. It is to risk encounter. And I wonder if that's maybe why we don't. Because we say that we want God. But there is a terror attached to connecting with the true God. It's a fraught endeavor. So much. So much is stacked against your relationship with your God. So much is pulling us away. And one of those things is our need to prove that God, we're good. Me and God, we're good to go. The proof's on my Instagram feed. The proof is everything that you see in front of you. The proof is the trumpet. Jesus says, if that is what you want, then you will get what you have earned. But what if you want is connection, is heaven and earth reuniting. Then here's the path. So may we walk it. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, I fear saying too much right now. So as we breathe in and out, God, we ask that you would hear what it is we don't even know we're trying to say. Right now, God, all we know to do is just to say help. 
a lot of us feel like we're drowning. But the scarier part is that it feels like we're drowning and no one sees us. So in our prayer, in our becoming small, we have to trust and we trust and we're trying to trust that you see us. And we don't have to make ourselves any bigger for you to see us, to know us. And so hold us, even if there are storms, even if there is silence. And when there is suffering, we'll stay quiet or a little bit in secret because we really want to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor John Jay. There was one other song we were going to sing. We were going to sing uh, Who You Say I Am, which was the first song one more time today. But uh, we all know that it is 100 degrees, and so we want to be uh, honoring of your time. And so we're going to move into the next element of the service. But I want to say, uh, keep an eye on your weekly email that we send out every week. One of the things we're going to do is create just a public playlist of songs that we sing together up here often so that you can be listening in your car or when you're walking or jogging and sort of continue to learn all of the songs that we sing together, old and new. Today is a special and a kind of a uh, bittersweet Sunday. Um, and so we're going to do a couple of things. Uh, Camille, wave your hand, Camille, has, uh, has been with us for 10 weeks, which is all the time that we were promised. Uh, so uh, Camille is with us from Duke University, Duke Divinity School, uh, on, as a field ed placement, as a pastoral fellow. And this is the end of it. Like, I can't believe it's the end of it because it's not the end of the summer. But this is our last Sunday with Camille. And so one of the things I want us to do is to uh, send her with a blessing. Now, she's been staying with the X-Trans with Dave and Cindy, and so they're going to help me out here. Uh, if you would put the litany up, this is going to be a call and response because you all have been part of her journey as well. And so uh, where you see leader, that's our line. Where you see people, that's your line. And so we'll all say those lines together. Uh, this is our commitment to Camille as she leaves us to head back east, but hopefully stays connected to us in all of the ways that we know we are connected to one another through God's spirit. Uh, So join me in these words, if you will. Uh, As a church, we gather today to give thanks to God for Camille's journey with us. We are grateful for the family, friends, teachers, churches, and mentors who shaped her on her way to us. For the seeds of faith planted by others. Through this summer of ministry, we have sought together to follow Christ and to be Christ's church in this place. You have walked among, among us as a sister and daughter, rejoiced with us, wept with us, and sought God's truth with us. We give thanks, thanks for the seeds, seeds of hope you have nurtured among us. Now we prepare to let go, to send forth Camille with our blessing, praying that she may be salt of the earth and light for the world as she plants new seeds of God's care in other places. We give give thanks thanks for the seeds seeds of joy to be sown in the years ahead. The God who has made the seed grow, the planter and the waterer are nothing compared with him who gives life to the seed. 
for we are laborers together with God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Unreal, Camille. I can't believe that here we are. Uh, if you would like to say a word to Camille, uh, she's going to be here after the service. You can catch her. Uh, we will find some contact information for you as you head back to Durham so that we can stay in contact with her and follow her own journey in ministry. Uh, you were in year two, right? Coming, going into year two of three years. Yeah, uh, so, all right. Now, it's dangerous to do this, but it's just the way the weeks worked. Um, the Stassen family has been with us for a while. Um, Dot and David have sat right here. David, you have been one of my favorite people to teach with and preach with. I love to be able to see you right here listening and following. And it's, it's with sadness. They are heading east. This is their last Sunday because they have family back there. And so they've been wrestling with this decision about when. And this feels like the right season for them to move a little bit closer to family. Uh, and so I'm going to ask, is Dot close by? Dot, are you, are you and David, would you mind just coming up so we can say a blessing as, as we all leave and as we dismiss? David, do you mind coming up? Camille, would you mind coming down? We're just going to all be here together. I'm going to ask if you all would stand. This is the last thing we're going to do this morning before we are dismissed. Uh, if you are coming to the lunch after church for new friends, that's anybody who's uh, a guest with us. You've gotten an invitation already. It's in the south side room and we can't wait to see you. We are really grateful to worship together. And this is like a bittersweet part of what it means to worship together. Uh, is to, to honor these transitions. And so here we are. Uh, if you have been part of their life and you'd like to come forward... Uh, I know some of you have been very close with the Stassens. Uh, feel free to do so. Um, we're just going to put a hand on them and say a blessing as we send them off. Uh, congregation and, and friends, especially new friends, one of the things that we do, and you can see uh, Danny here, is we might reach a handout in blessing. Uh, because this is not just sort of the area and privilege of the pastors, but of all of us who call uh, Jesus Lord. So... This is our blessing to you all as you go. We have been changed in ways we still do not understand by your presence with us. So one more time, the priestly benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his smile upon you and give you peace and safe passage now in all of your days. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen. Grace and peace, you are dismissed. Bye.